Hello and welcome to On the Farm, featuring this podcast of all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. And we're back. I hope all of you had a joyous Juneteenth last week. Happy Father's Day to all of my fellow dads. Today we're going to be continuing our stock up, stock down evaluations. This time we're setting our sights on the NF Central. But before we get into who's improving and whose value is falling, let's do some prospect rundown. A couple of major prospects made their debut since our last episode, Gabriel Moreno for the Toronto Blue Jays. And after a broken foot delayed him for a few months, we finally got to see Riley Green for the Detroit Tigers. Both have looked quite comfortable in the lineup thus far, and they seem pretty much tabbed for a pretty regular, if not everyday, playing time on their respective teams. I would say Green and Moreno are about as high profile as you can get. So. I doubt that either have been available in 99% of leagues out there for uh, some time. But if you happen to be in something sort of esoteric where either are still on the wire, pause the podcast right now, put in your claim, come back to the podcast after you hit submit. Moving on, we have Reed Detmers, who technically has graduated, but with his age, he still feels uh, pretty close to the prospect world. He was optioned to AAA Salt Lake City after his most recent blow-up. Um, it's been a tough season for Detmers. I haven't traded for him in the offseason. Definitely have felt the brunt of it. Uh, that being said, I don't, I don't really agree with the decision to send him down. I know that he's young. I know he hasn't pitched at the AAA level. But when you look at Salt Lake City specifically, is notoriously hitter-friendly. And it's in the most notorious hitter-friendly environment in league. Uh, that being the Pacific Coast League. So I don't know how much that's really going to benefit him in the long run, especially when you look at what his issues are, which is typically command uh, command of his pitches and uh, giving up a lot of hard contact and a lot of runs. I don't know that putting him in a a place where it's difficult for the best of pitchers to suppress uh, those uh, issues is is really going to help him out. There's a lot of talk from the Angels about building up Detmer's confidence. Again, I don't see how this help uh, how this helps if he's successful in Utah. It still doesn't necessarily show that he's uh, understanding or put together the sequencing that's needed to get big league hitters out. And of course, if he's unsuccessful in Utah, then what's the next move? Uh, are you going to bring him back up, even though that? stint didn't really work, in which case he could have just been a major league pitcher this whole time. So I, for me, I just don't see it working out the best way. I'm hoping, obviously, for the best. Like I said, I'm invested in him also, you know, just with him being young and talented, you want it to work out. But uh, pitchers are different from hitters. Hitters tend to need just more reps. It tends to be about just getting the most plate appearances, the most at-bats that you can against the best pitching that you can for hitters to be able to make adjustments, um, to understand your mechanics, your timing, the pitches that you do the, the, the best damage against. Pitching is, again, it's, it's art and science blended together in a different way than hitting. And it's not just about reps. They need Pitchers need to be able to overcome adversity. They need to be able to have a lot of traffic on the base paths and figure out how to get out of the inning without it giving up a crooked number. They need to figure out, okay, I fell behind this guy 2-0. How do I get back into this count? And possibly, even if I don't get him to strike out, maybe get some soft contact, get a ground ball where I need it. Uh, you know, I got a guy on, it's a one-run lead, it's first and third, 
this one guy out? How do I get this double play ball that I need to get out of the inning? That sort of stuff has to come at the major league level. Ultimately, that's the goal. It doesn't matter how well a, a guy put uh, pitches at AAA level um, or, or anywhere else, obviously. It's all about, are you able to get major league outs? Are you able to get these batters out consistently? And for Detmers, it's all going to circle back to him being back in the big leagues. And also, when you look at the Angels, I mean, Chase Seth is a, is a nice story. Um, Brett Carey, he's kind of tapered off from his hot start, but he's still somebody that's uh, in their pipeline. Um, Backman has looked uh, pretty well. Uh, Sam Backman has looked pretty good uh, this year. Uh, Kai Bush has, has been okay. So there's some young guys. But there's nobody that they have on hand that is readily going to help them at the major league level while Detmers is uh, optioned down into the minors. So it's not like what am I trying to say here? It's it's not like optioning Detmers is also going to help them in winning ball games, right? For me, I'd much rather them have pushed him into the bullpen. He's still with the club. He's still part of the major league ball club, right? Give him a couple innings, low leverage here and there. If you want to use him as an opener and piggyback him with somebody, right? Just work him in as you can in lower leverage situations. Let him also refine his pitching in his bullpen sessions. The biggest thing, especially having watched the most recent start from Detmers, um, his fastball is incredibly flat. So that's a, a big reason why he's getting hit hard. Either, I mean, you can't dish the fastball, obviously, but you got to work out that fastball shape, turn it into a cutter, something else that can get some sort of movement. We know about the curveball, but if you look at the numbers, the curveball really isn't the out pitch for him because it's so um, sort of loopy. It, it's so big in its curve. He can put it into the strike zone, but he can't really deliver it in any way where a guy is going to swing and chase after it for strike three. So it's going it, to, it has such movement, that 12 to 6 big hump in it, that it's kind of obvious coming out of his hand that it's going to be the curve. He can't really throw it in two strike counts um, because either it's going to hang in the strike zone, in which case the guy can time it out and, and at least foul it off, if not uh, get a, a good hit, a good barrel on it for a good hit. Um, or he's throwing it and it's going to bounce in the dirt and it's going to be a ball anyway. Really, is, is our pitch has really been more in the slider um, and less so the change, but mostly the slider has really been the strike three pitch, the, the pitch to really get um, some good swings and misses f- to, to get strikeouts. So you got to figure out what to do with the fastball to combine with that. Um, and the slider, the command kind of comes and goes. When it's on, he's looking really good. And when, it, when it's going, he's really having to resort to fastball curveball only, and we see how that turns out. So, um, again, I hope it works out. I hope that I'm 100% wrong about all of this. That would be lovely. I've never played Major League Baseball. I don't work in any Major League office. don't necessarily really know what I'm talking about, but from what I can see, don't see that this is going to get them the result that they're looking for. I'd much rather see Detmer is still with the ball club, still working through it to figure it out. If you want to reduce his innings, like I said, as a reliever, that makes all the sense in the world to me. But the option down to AAA into the PCL in Salt Lake City, like if you look at some of the numbers that come out of um, 
pitchers pitching in Salt Lake City or pitchers pitching just in general. When you look at uh, going to Tacoma, going to um, Sugarland, and it's about to get humid in Texas, so you're going into um, the Houston area and having to pitch there, and just all the different locations that are in uh, the PCL, it's super hard not to come out with like a four ERA, <laughs> you know? So how much is that really going to boost his confidence? Don't know. We'll see. Moving on um, and staying with young pitchers, a bit of good news, bad news coming out of Baltimore. Bad news. Kyle Bradish is uh, placed on the 15 day IL with shoulder discomfort. That's another pitcher who I'm, I'm heavily invested in both as an Orioles fan, but also from a fantasy standpoint, haven't heard an official diagnosis yet, at least as of me recording this podcast. Uh, I think the hope, as much as there can be with a shoulder injury, is that you obviously come back with clean scans and that there's just some soreness that Bradish was trying to play through and he was just unsuccessful with doing so. I think if the cause of his poor outings that he's had um, is really just been that shoulder soreness, I think the Orioles and dynasty managers kind of breathe a big sigh of relief and think, okay, give him some rest, let him take the couple of weeks and then come back a, a bit healthier, a bit more rested. And then maybe we can get back to how he looked in April and early May. Um, one thing that, again, talked about flat fastballs with Detmer, same thing with Bradish. His fastball, fastball doesn't have a lot of movement to begin with, but it's really looked incredibly flat when you look at some of the savant data. Um, from this recent run that he's had of really getting pounded, it's it's just pretty much just right over the plate. And yeah, it's 97, 98, but we all know that it really doesn't matter at the major league level if you don't have either some sort of movement um, on it, uh, either up and down or side to side. And if you don't have uh, enough command of, of secondaries to really throw off the timing of hitters and his slider, which is really the, the go-to pitch for him as far as um, getting strikes. You know, again, just like we were talking about with Devers, for Bradish, it's definitely the slider as his out pitch. It's still there, but he just hasn't shown that third pitch. So it's mostly fastball slider. Fastball, like I said, stand over the plate. For most good hitters, you learn to lay off the slider, you wait for the fastball, and then we see what happens there. So um, hopefully, again, scans are clean. Hopefully, it's just a matter of getting him some rest. He is a, uh, still a relatively young guy, still working out, you know, stamina when it comes to throwing major league innings. That's best-case scenario. Obviously, worst-case scenario is there's something there, and then he's getting shut down for a longer period of time. So we'll wait and see what comes from there. Uh, surprisingly good news, though, is we have Dean Kramer. Kramer is kind of like uh, Detmers as far as technically he is outside of prospect eligibility, but I think spiritually he still kind of feels like a prospect. Uh, being a major part of the Manny Machado trade from a couple years ago. And the Orioles are still trying to see some sort of return on investment from him. He's made his fourth start of this season for the Orioles and five and two thirds innings. He scattered seven hits and a walk, gave up no runs, got four strikeouts. He's had four starts this season and he's looked way, way more improved in his 2022 form than what we've seen of him previously, especially from last year. He's not getting a ton of whiffs, but he's getting a weaker contact overall, and he's definitely eliminating the walks. That means less base runners, less traffic on the base pass, less runs getting scored. You do see some regression that's hiding there in his FIP and, and XFIP as well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the ERA start to climb, especially when you look at it somewhere in the ones right now. The FIP and the XFIP doesn't bear that out. 
even if it sort of meets in the middle at somewhere in the threes, I still think right now what he's showing is a viable back end pitcher. And I think for the Orioles overall, that's a win in their book. He's definitely not a guy that I would say right now you have to run out and go get. But if he can put himself into the streamer bucket, again, I think that's a win for the Orioles. And that can be a win for you, especially as we get later into the season. Um, you start to have different injuries that might hit your pitching staff. You want to be aware of guys that you can stream favorable matchups. Dean Creamer might add his name to that list. So something to keep an eye out for. And then lastly, uh, in this week's roundup, I think there's just a cool story in my estimation. Uh, almost 10 years after he was drafted, almost five years after he initially retired from the game, he had former number one overall pick, Mark Appel, um, should have appeared in a ma- an official Major League Baseball game by the time you're hearing this podcast. Um, for the Philadelphia Phillies, he replaced Connor Brogdon, uh, who went on the I.L., and for those who hadn't been paying attention to Appel's return to baseball in 2021, um, he's been playing for Philadelphia's minor league affiliates, both AA and AAA. They converted him to a full-time reliever, so not not really dealing with the starter um, potential that he had when he was a, a younger man getting drafted by the Astros. And I'll be honest, I don't know that there's much here from a fantasy standpoint. I believe his fastball sitting somewhere in the mid-90s. Seemed to be pretty effective out of the pen this season. Um, in 28 innings, he got 24 strikeouts, eight walks. But regardless, even outside of fantasy, I just think it's a great story. Um, he seems to have sort of found some inner peace away from the game. Uh, he was still inspired enough to try to come back, try his hand at it, and his hard work is paying off here. Uh, there was a really insightful thread that he had on Twitter last year, um, and I think it's, it's been kind of passed around, so you can probably search for that. But he pretty much just addressed the entire saga from drafting, his injuries, his where he was mentally and emotionally, him walking away from the game, him looking to come back to it. And for me, I'm always heartened when I see any sort of athlete, entertainer, anybody that is in that public sphere where we're very quick to cheer them and then we're just as quick to boo and tear them down, call them bus, etc. cetera. Uh, when that type of person is able to show an incredible amount of perspective and awareness, and, and really a lack of bitterness, I think um, it always sort of heartens me a, a bit. You know, I don't know. I know I don't know this person, but it's just nice to see that sort of um, a well adjustment. Um, so kudos to Mark Appel. No matter what else happens to him after his major league appearance, good on him for, for you know, sticking it out. With all that being said, that's our prospect rundown for this week. Let's take a break, pay bills, and then we're coming back. NL Central Stock Up, Stock Down. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right 
Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. And we're back. So, the North Central is a little bit more difficult, uh, in my opinion, at least for me, to assess uh, stock up, stock down. And uh, it's not so much a lack of talent, but many of the prospects in the NF Central that we'll be sort of looking at from a value standpoint, many of them have already made their major league debuts. Most of them have stuck uh, on the team um, in some sort of part-time or full-time rate. The ones that haven't are kind of right there on the cusp, most likely to get called up again in the second half of the season. So I had to go digging a little bit more and kind of be a little bit more creative in what I was looking at as far as stock up, stock down versus uh, the previous episode that I did with the NL East. Um, with that being said, I try to do kind of three and three, three stock up, three stock down. This one's going to be a little bit lighter, three stock up, two stock down. Um, and I'm willing to hear if you have uh, comments, you know, send them to me, uh, email, Twitter, etc. If uh, you think there's some some guys for stock down, especially that maybe I missed out on, um, I'm sure I'm going to hear an earful of why didn't you have this personal stock up? It's because I didn't want to have a, a laundry list. I wanted to keep it, like I said, three apiece, just like a different NL East. So, yes, I understand. I probably missed your favorite prospect. Sorry about that. But here we are. So leading us off for stock up is going to be outfielder Kevin Alcantara for Chicago Cubs. And Alcantara was already on many Dynasty managers' radar last year while he was in the Yankee system. 6'6", 185 or so pounds. Um, you know, he's the type of long and lean teenager that evaluators love to project on. Uh, after he got traded to the Cubs as part of the Anthony Rizzo deal, he started showing not only the power and speed that scouts were kind of foreseeing in this game. He had four home runs and three stolen bases with the Cubs' complex league team. Obviously, stolen bases, especially take that for whatever it's worth. Um, but it, but the speed was there. Uh, but he was also showing above average plate discipline, especially for a hitter of his age and his size. So he actually had 12.3% walk rate. Uh, that's combined uh, between Cubs and Yankees minor league teams. And that's against the 26% K rate. So obviously with any hitter that size, right, you're talking about 6'4 and, and up, you have two major questions that tend to persist. Can he use those long levers to generate consistent quality contact and power, right? Is this going to be a guy that can get into the power that you kind of expect for a tall guy to generate? Um, and can he do it consistently? And even bigger question, no pun intended, how well can he cover all the parts of the plate? Because he's going to have a larger strike zone. So a guy that's 6'6", like Alcantara, he's going to have high part of the zone, obviously both corners, and then down low. That's a lot to cover. Typically, there's a hole somewhere in that zone that can get exploited. The best of the hitters, they shrink that hole. If not eliminated, you know, altogether, those obviously tend to be like the Hall of Famers. But they, the, the better prospects and the better hitters can shrink where those holes are so they can't get exploited easily. The ones that don't pan out are the ones that can only hit the ball in certain areas and everywhere else in the zone, they just can't get to it consistently. So I think in 2022, Alcantara has definitely gone about answering that first question uh, with authority. He's already hit 10 home runs at low A Myrtle beach. 
that goes along with 13 doubles. He has a 226 ISO, so the power is showing up um, very well. And as far as the plate coverage, plate discipline doesn't seem to have wavered much since he's uh, gone to low A. He's still in double digits at 10.8%. The K rate uh, ticked up almost a percentage. It's at 26.9. So, you know, sitting about a percentage higher than it was last year. I, that To me, that works, especially for the tools that are apparent with Alcantara. He's able to hit for both power and it seems like for average as well. He shows the ability to use all fields in his approach. So the major next major step for him, obviously, is going to be going to high A. I, I think that that probably is going to occur in the second half of the season, late July, early August. Um, and there's a couple of other guys that I'll talk about getting that promotion. Um, something to look out for is I think there's going to be a lot of movement late July, early August post uh, the MLB draft. So, of course, as the new draftees are being selected and being assigned, you want to make space for them. So I think that's where you start to see some major movement of existing prospects up a level, um, especially if they've been performing anywhere near what the teams are looking for. So I definitely think for Alcantara, high A's in his very near future. Um, I, I think at high A, it's going to be a, another test to show, can he adjust to velocity at the top of the zone? Right? Can he get to it? Typically for tall hitters, it's figuring out how either to lay off a high fastballs completely or how to adjust their swing to get to those pitches at the right angle. Um, not, not severely uppercutting because that's going to lead to a lot of pop-ups but be able to flatten it just enough that you can make solid contact. Um, and again, the, that, that top 1% of those tall hitters, guys that are 6'4 and above, that top uh, percentage, they know how to adjust their swing enough where they can still get the backspin, still be able to drive high fastballs out of the ballpark. Um, we're going to see where Alcantara kind of falls as he goes up levels. Um the video that I've seen from last year and watching a bit this year, Alcantara definitely has a fast enough bat to get his hands inside of pitches on the inside corner. That tends to be another bugaboo uh, of guys that are this size is can you get inside um, the inside corner? Typically, long levers lead to long swings. Long swings means inside corner. You just can't get to it. You're either completely missing it. Um, or, you know, it's very weak contact that's getting generated. So far, he's been very quick to the ball. Again, it's it's low A pitching, so velocity, movement, all those things are not at the highest level. But it's, you know, that you, you rather see it than not see it at, at that level um, to begin with. And, of course, he's able to cover outside corner seemingly with substantial ease. So uh, inside and outside seems not to be a problem thus far for Alcantara. And obviously, we'll continue to monitor uh, to just wrap up, Cubs obviously are still rebuilding. They have holes around their outfield. Um, they do have Suzuki, obviously. He's long-term. Um, they're moving Christopher Morell all around. So I know he can play some outfield, but I don't think he's their long-term um, uh, long-term defender in the outfield. So even still, they have some, some pieces, some holes that I think they're still looking to fill. Um, obviously, Jason Hayward and the like, they're continuing to age out of any sort of everyday or even part-time utility. So the runway for Alcantara is is clearing up for him to be able to ascend based on his production. And from a fantasy perspective, I don't think the window has shut on him, um, especially because he's still in the lower minor. So I think depending on your league, and especially depending on the depth, if you're in that like 14-teamer uh, league, 
he might still be available just because some managers might look at him and think, ah, again, tall guy, low A. Skill set sounds nice, but I, I kind of want him to prove it at a higher level before I grab him. This might be an opportunity for you to go ahead and, and jump on him. Um, I think if you are targeting him in a trade, so if somebody does already uh, have him on their roster, that's a scenario where you might have to pay a premium price because they probably are going to be aware of the value that he um, represents uh, and that potential that he represents as well. So again, depending on the league, if you're in that 12, uh, 10 to 12 teamer, your your pool depth, and especially depending on how many spots that you have, um, you you might be able to hold off. Sometimes it's nice to go for a dart throw in in the shorter, um, in the shallower, I should say, leagues, just to have a couple of guys that, you know, if everything clicks for them, you're going to be a good couple of years ahead on, on having them on your roster before they really start to hit on a lot of people's um, radar. But you don't want to clog up your roster with a lot of those type of players. So 10 to 12ers, that's a, you, you kind of have to be aware. Like I said, 14, 16 teamers, you definitely want to grab them. If you're above that, he's probably already gone. I, I'd really be surprised if you're in an 18, 20 plus team league and Alcantara is not being rostered unless you have some really weird um, roster spots or rules when it comes to that. And that's where, like I said, you're, you're, if you're going after him as a trade target, you're probably going to have to pay um, a bit of a premium just because of that potential that he represents. So moving on, uh, our second stock up is a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Milwaukee left-hander has some reliever risk but he's having a breakout season as a strikeout machine. No, this time I'm not talking about Aaron Ashby. For this season, it's Antoine Kelly, who's kind of taken up that similar mantle. Um, Kelly, just to give the rundown there, he was actually first selected in 2018 by the San Diego Padres out of high school, uh, but didn't sign, went to community college for a year, then was selected in 2019 by the Brewers. And for Kelly, the elite pitch for him has always been his fastball. It was clocked in the high 90s when he was a draft pick. But as um, Milwaukee was looking to, to build him up, he was actually diagnosed and underwent surgery in 2021, November 2021, for thoracic outlet um, syndrome. And it's interesting to note that before his diagnosis, um, which was due to Kelly uh, um, reporting to the team that he was experiencing some swelling in his throwing arm and throwing hand, uh, his velocity actually never dipped in his outing. And, and I was reading an interview where he talked about the fact that he saw the swelling. He, you know, he obviously knew that that was odd, but he never felt any sort of pain or discomfort uh, during any of his starts or, or even necessarily afterwards. So to me, um, I'm obviously I'm not a, a medical person at all, so I don't know all the ins and outs of uh, thoracic outlet syndrome or the surgery. Um, that uh, he that treats it, but to me, when I hear about a guy having to undergo major surgery but not necessarily having experienced a lot of pain or discomfort beforehand, that that to me at least is like better than not. Um, versus if we saw his velocity was was dipping, um, or if if he was having a lot of pain and discomfort, then that's a little bit more worrisome to me uh, to go along with surgery. But again. That's a personal preference. If you know more about um, the, the the syndrome and the surgery, then you probably have your own opinions about it. 
But regardless, as such, there was cautious optimism over his recovery. And he was actually able to recover some development time. So he actually was able to show up by July 2021. Um, he pitched in one game at the complex level for like an inning. But then he was able to rack up 18 and a third innings between A-ball levels to finish the season. So actually, the, the Brewers had been very cautious in talking about him pitching at all in 2021 as he recovered. So the fact that he was able to grab any sort of innings um, in a competitive sense, to me, again, shows that his body was able to recover you know, pretty well. And you fast forward to now, and he's been quite electric at high A for Milwaukee. Uh, he had 13, actually 14 starts. I didn't grab. He had a start last night um, on Saturday as I'm recording this on Sunday. So he did have a start um, last night that I didn't get a chance to uh, take a full look at what the numbers are. So I have him at 13 starts, and he has four games of at least nine strikeouts, which includes a May 22nd start in which he had 13 strikeouts and five and two-thirds um, innings. There still lingers a lot of that reliever risk that I mentioned uh, earlier. His command is, is pretty much average. It's not necessarily at that consistent level that you want to see from a pitcher that's at the top part of your rotation. So he's also only pitched uh, six innings once this season. Again, I uh, hadn't looked at uh, yesterday's stat line for him, so I don't know if he went past six uh, yesterday. But so far, he's only pitched six innings um, at least uh, only once this season. Most of his starts tend to end around the five-inning mark. Five innings, five and a third, five and two thirds. So, just a lot of it is because of pitch efficiency and effectiveness, just building up that stamina to be able to get uh, more quickly through the lineup. His walk rate overall is 12.3%. So, that's obviously quite high. Um, it's mitigated a little bit with the strikeout rate, uh, 31.2. But when you look at the math, that's only somewhere, what, 19, not even that, 18 and some change. Um, would be the rate for K minus uh, BB. So again, just he, he gets strikeouts, but when you're walking guys at that sort of rate, no wonder that you're not going to be able to pitch long into the games. And that's a lot of um, base runners that you're going to have. Uh, uh, again, a lot of traffic that you're going to have on the base pass that you're constantly having to pitch through. Now his batting average against is 174, and he does have a 1.13 whip. So to me, when you have a whip that's low, uh, that is that low, even though you have a walk rate that's high, that means a lot of your whip is coming from the walks themselves. He doesn't get hit very hard. He doesn't give up home runs. So worst case scenario, I would say is that the Brewers are grooming the next Josh Hader right in their own backyard. The fastball is, is legit. Um, I actually talked about Kelly as one of my player of the weeks. Um, I forget which week now, but if you look through the player of the week, um, MILB player of the week columns that I have for pitcher list. Um, he makes an appearance and we look at his start and some uh, the gift that I have included. I mean, the slider, the fastball, it's all right there. Like I said, to be a high leverage reliever at worst. And if he gets just a bit, just a bit of command um, consistency and some of that pitch effectiveness and efficiency um, to, to be uh, more consistent strike thrower, you could have a, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say an ace, but you have a very valuable starting pitcher. 
So I would seek out Kelly now, temporary expectations. Again, around targeting him as a starter, I would target him as an arm, as somebody who would be a productive pitcher of some sort. Um, he definitely has bullpen ace, again, written all over him at, at the, the floor. And I would say his ceiling is a solid SP3 type guy that can rack up a lot of strikeouts for you. Um, ERA might be a little bit high on that end, might give up some runs. The whip, I think, will be okay for you. And again, he'll rack up the strikeouts. So that's the ceiling. But again, the floor, I think, is just as valuable. Uh, and especially in today's game where it's so much out of the bullpen, it's so much about guys that can come and throw three innings, rack up a lot of strikeouts, keep your ratios down. Those guys are valuable. Um, and I think targeting them early is not the worst case scenario. You don't necessarily want to stock up with nothing but those guys if you can help it. But having a few of them, and like I said, being in on them early, I think uh, is, isn't a bad strategy with the way today's game uh, is it really is now. And then lastly for our stock up is going to be um, infielder. He, he can play a few different uh, positions for Cincinnati Reds, and that's Ellie De La Cruz. And De La Cruz is probably second only to Anthony Volk uh, in terms of prospect helium last year. De La Cruz came out of nowhere. He surprised even his own front office. If you read some um, interviews from last year, there are people in, this, in the Reds' front office that didn't know how talented this guy was. Just some phenomenal exit velocities. The power is tremendous. Uh, like I said before, he's able to play a few different positions. I think he's listed as a shortstop, um, but it seems more likely that he's going to be either third baseman or second baseman for the most part, um, just with with his size and how his body's maturing. Um, so how has he pushed his stock up in 2022 with being that phenomenal in 2021? And for me, it was just by showing that last year wasn't a fluke. He got off to a bit of a cool start in April. Uh, he only had a 288 OBP, had a 764 OPS, only three home runs. But since May on, he's been uh, just as good as we imagined he would be. 391 OBP, 953 OPS, 10 home runs, nine doubles, five triples. Uh, the K rate is still a bit high. It's 29%. And quite honestly, I think that's something that you're going to have to watch as he climbs up levels. I think it's always going to. It's always going to kind of be around um, the higher end of the spectrum. It's something to be aware of. But he, he's hitting the ball so hard, and he's showing some some maturity and some development and being able to use more of the entire field. His pull rate decreased by 5%. So it went from 50.7 last year to 45.7. His line drive percentage increased slightly to 24.5. So just, again, you're seeing some of the signs of him developing, maturing as a hitter. Um, I imagine that he gets promoted again uh, as one of these guys that's going to get bumped up uh, around the time of uh, the MLB draft, uh, as we talked about, as teams are making um, room for their new draftees. So that means that in July, he will be going to double A. And it's a perfect sort of, I don't want to call it make or break, but it's a per perfect uh, sort of litmus test for where his uh, next steps might be, where his development path might go um, as he goes to double-A. So, I, again, for Dela Cruz, he's definitely a guy, uh, like I said, next to Volpe, 
the healing was tremendous. I doubt he's available in pretty much any league uh, unless, you know, it's the most shallow. But if you are targeting him for a trade, if you're trying to figure out, okay, how what do I have to give up to get this guy and like where do I actually value him? You might even want to wait. Um, unless you have something that you feel good about in the works already, you might want to wait, see if he gets that move to double A, um, like I say, in July. And if he does, see how he adjusts. And that might tell you everything you need to know. Um, if you really if you really believe in Dela Cruz, if you really want to be aggressive, which I don't think is a bad idea, then um, probably now is the time to, to figure out how to work out a deal so you can benefit from him. Um, potentially, and uh, again, I would say probably getting that bump to double A uh, because once he gets that bump and you try to work out a deal, now that I'm thinking about it, I could definitely see a manager kind of using that leverage to say like, well, this guy is that much closer to making it to the majors conceivably, especially with Cincinnati sort of being uh, in a, some sort of a rebuild or, or I don't really know what they're doing there, but they have positions open. Um, for Dela Cruz to, to play, it's conceivable that maybe not early 2023, but maybe mid-2023, July of 2023, as as long as he continues to perform, that Dela Cruz could get um, promoted to the major leagues. So, you know, I could see a manager that has him on the roster working that out when you're looking at a trade offer. So maybe early is better, actually. To, to jump in on Dela Cruz if you are going to try to get in on him um, now through trades instead of waiting. So I'm kind of walking back my own position as I'm talking this out real time. Maybe early is better in this case to get in on now. And then hopefully he gets that promotion uh, in, the, in the later part of the summer to double A and you can benefit from that. So with that being said, uh, we will shift to the negative. And then kind of on a down note, unfortunately, but here we are, stock down. And like I said, I really only picked two guys um, that to me were sort of obvious stock downs. Um, and I would definitely be interested if anybody wants to pass on other people that they have kind of downgraded themselves from the NL Central as prospects. But we're going to stick with Cincinnati. And this is uh, Red's prospect uh, outfielder, Austin Hendrick. Uh, Hendrick was number 12 overall pick in 2020 in that shortened MLB draft, obviously, um, in the pandemic year. He's coming out of high school. An early report on him, plus power from the left side. But as, you know, is the case with most high school hitters, concerns about the hit tool, um, in his case, due both to mechanics and, and approach, which the approach piece, again, not a huge surprise when it comes to a high school hitter just being that young. Um, so it wasn't really a big surprise with his first season last year, coming with a very high K rate at low A ball of 37.6%. But he did also have a walk rate of 19.3%, and he had seven home runs in 266 play appearances. So high strikeout rate, um, uh, aggressive approach from a high school guy, but also able to figure out how to work, work walks and to get into that power um, that he was drafted for. So, okay, makes sense. Let's see what we have going on. Um, in 2022, unfortunately, everything has kind of gone sideways for him. The K rate is now sitting in the 40% range at both levels of A-ball that he's played at this year. The walk rate has gone down. And uh, combined, he's only hit 10 home runs thus far. And 
that's kind of even more troubling when you look at the fact that he has a 50 50 percent actually a little bit over 50 percent uh fly ball rate and not many of them are pop up so it's not like he's hitting a lot of um when you look at that infield fly ball percentage he's not hitting a lot of pop-ups that are constituting fly balls he's getting under balls to get them into the air but he's not generating enough power for them to be extra base hits he's striking out a ton he's not really working walks it's it's a mess of a profile um i think the reds may have thought that the move from low a to high a that happened earlier this year may have been kind of like a vote of confidence just hey um maybe sharpen his focus a bit um to get him in front of some more challenging pitching and, and then maybe he can kind of hone in because it wasn't production that got his promotion he, if you look at his low a um stat line this year it does not look very good so it wasn't like he was killing it there and let's bump him up uh, so i'm thinking maybe they just thought hey maybe low a is not challenging enough maybe like let's kind of um get him in, in front of some guys that are a little bit better a little bit closer to his um his his talent level maybe uh or if not uh even a bit more advanced and challenge him that way and like i said it just hasn't worked out well thus far I wouldn't be surprised uh, if we saw Hendrick make a brief appearance in the Arizona Fall League this October just to kind of get, again, some more reps. Like we talked about earlier, that hitters tend to need work on his swing, work on his approach, identifying pitches um, a a bit better. So it may not be for the full season um, in the AFL, but maybe just those first couple of weeks. uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Reds send him down there. From a fantasy standpoint, I'm fine with letting him stay on the wire. He's not even a buy low for me. I, I got to see something more positive before I'm back in on Hendrick at all. Um, if you are somebody who has Hendrick on your roster at this point, I'll quite honestly, again, unless the rules of your league dictate a different move, I just cut him loose. I think he's just taking up a, a roster slot for you that you can find. Um, um, uh, especially you're talking about an outfielder, outfielder um, in that 18, 19, 20 um, age range that is doing much better. I think you can probably find that, especially if you're in a deeper league. Cash your your net wide, and I think you can find somebody that can easily replace um, Hendrick from a value standpoint currently. And, you know, keep, keep him on your watch list if you would like. See what happens the rest of this season. Like I said, if he goes to the AFL, you know, keep an eye on how he does down there. Um, but yeah, he, he's definitely not somebody that I'm touching at all. And the next prospect, now this is this is kind of a reach. I, I'll be 100 honest. Having him having this prospect on the stock down list is a bit of a reach, a bit of an overreaction. But just kind of hear me out on what I have to say. So this is Henry Davis. This is last year's number one overall pick for the Pittsburgh Pirates um, catcher part of this sort of current generation of high-profile catching prospects that we had. He's only 22. It's only the second season of professional baseball. I understand that 100%. Um, I do think it's interesting that we're seeing him encounter his first major sort of set of adversity um, after he just knocked out high A to start this year. He got promoted to double A Altoona. That double A, um, was it Eastern League? Double A Eastern League is a bit difficult. I have a chance to kind of keep um, close tabs on them just because of where I live and, and um, am kind of plugged into. Uh, 
So I know that it's a pretty competitive league um, and not very easy to hit in. Again, if you um, contrast that to AAA um, Pacific Coast League, it's not that environment. You're not going to those types of ballparks. Uh, so I understand that. I understand that that's probably part of the struggle. Uh, the current line as I grabbed it, and again, I think he had a game yesterday, so I'm not including the game from Saturday. But the line that I have for him is 128, 306, 256. Yeah, that's a slugging percentage that's lower than his OBP. It's in 49 plate appearances. So again, I understand. Sample size is not that big. Strikeouts don't seem to be an issue. That's good to know. He only has nine strikeouts against five walks. He has a 138 BABIP. So there seems to be an extreme amount of bad luck that's happening as well. So I understand all of these factors in. So why do I have him in stock down? I really have him in stock down because you might have an opportunity here. If you're a dynasty manager, depending on your league, you might want to test the waters and see, you know, does the manager that has Davis on his roster have an appetite for this sort of performance? Is he still holding out or her? Is this person still holding out hope that Henry Davis is going to be worthy of the number one overall pick? You might be surprised. It's just good to float an offer when you have something like this. He's probably going to get dinged a bit uh, because his peers like Francisco Alvarez are going to continue to rise up the rankings. So I could see Davis maybe taking taking a couple of spots, you know, falling a couple of spots. So you might find a very impatient manager who's ready to cut bait. I think it's also in your favor because Davis, so it's kind of a converse of what we were talking about earlier with trying to get in early on De La Cruz before he makes it to double A. I think it's in your favor now that Davis is already at double A. So you don't have a manager that's necessarily thinking, hey, this guy's young. He's only playing A ball, right? He's only in low A ball. I can wait. I can be patient and see what happens. The Pirates are moving them on, and we know like it's not like the Pirates have a whole lot of people at the major league level that are going to be blocking him. That may have been, you know, part of what this manager is banking on as far as value. Seeing him at the AA level, hey, that's excellent. Wait, he's not performing again. That might cause them to be a little bit more impatient than they normally would have been. They might see it as an indictment of Davis's talent. Maybe he's not as good as I originally thought if he can't get through double A ball and he's having these sort of struggles. I'm not saying it's a hard fast. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be plenty of people that have Henry Davis that see the potential in them, see what the scouting report is and say, hey, him struggling at double A, don't care. See what happens the rest of the year. He's probably going to have to repeat it again next year. He's only going to be 23 years old by then in his third season. That's when I can make some decisions. You'll definitely get managers that are like that. They're like, I'm not taking any offers. But float it out there. You might be surprised. You might luck up on something. So that's the reason why I have him on stock down, just because he's providing an opportunity that you don't typically see um, for number one overall picks early in their career. And I think it's just it's worth having the conversation. So, again, you have to know your league. You have to know your managers. You have to know how they look at things of that nature. Not saying you have to try to lowball um, a guy or, or try to pull a fast one on anybody, but just you know, ask around. Hey, you know, would you be interested if I if I traded you this for that? Throw in Davis, see what you can get. 
So, again, it's two stock downs. I didn't have a third. Um, definitely let me know if there's anybody that you have in mind that you think should be in stock down for the NL Central. Let me know who you have in mind that should have been uh, stock up. There's a couple of players that I had um, on my list. I didn't include them just because they recently, well, for one, he recently was promoted and he's struggling just a little bit at the new level. So I, I didn't want him included. I didn't want to include him yet. We'll see if he can adjust. But he, overall, he's been having a very good year. And the other one, um, the other player just didn't include. So we'll see. We'll see if you guys complain about me not including those players or somebody else. Uh, with that being said, of course, I'm still doing uh, my normal uh, articles for Pitcher List. You have minor league baseball player and pitcher of the week. That is Tuesday. And you have the farm system power rankings, which are on Wednesday. I know some of the last ones have been skewed. That's on me on that. Sorry. A lot going on. Trying to stay on top of things. Trying to make sure they get published on time. So I apologize. Um, the farm system uh, power rankings, the sort of first half, quote unquote, of the season has been completed for minor league baseball with the way they're doing their playoff standings and whatnot. So the second half is kind of like a do-over, a restart. So I think I'm going to take that same mind frame uh, with doing the second half of these farm system rankings. So it's almost like I'm starting from scratch, trying to figure out what I've learned. I think that also means that I can include some pop-up guys that I wasn't looking at previously because they've now given us a few months of production and they should be starting to make their way onto um, organizational prospect ranking list so keep an eye on on that space as well minor league uh baseball player and pitcher of the week i'm having a ball with those just finding a lot of talent um i love putting together the video clips the gifts for you guys to look at as well even though uh milb tv is a bit of a hot mess when it comes to finding games sometimes but all that being said i love seeing the stat lines and um, guys having some phenomenal games that i can then go check out and see how they got those results, um, including them for you. Uh, with all that being said, as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Picture List pods on the Picture List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Picture List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. You can always find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. And again, uh, if you so choose, you can send tweets my way. If you're interested in talking about this episode or previous ones, um, you can also find my newsletter at Inside Fastball Newsletter. You can email me at InsideFastballNewsletter at gmail.com if you are so inclined. With that being said, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day.